Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his newsmaking interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday via podcastone.com and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for downloading and streaming and subscribing and checking it out each and every week around the world, wherever you are listening. It is greatly appreciated. And don't forget, as I say every week, this podcast, the interviews you hear on it at least, originate on my daily radio show on Sirius XM. 106 volume. The show is called Trunk Nation. If you are in the U.S. or Canada, you can get Sirius XM, become a subscriber. Even if you don't have a radio, you can get it as an app subscription only. And hear what I do every single day, not just one interview or show a week, but you can get five shows a week and you can hear them live one to three. I'm sorry, one to I was just in the central time zone. So I'm saying one to three. I usually just use the Eastern time zone, which is what I'll do right now. My show is live two to four Eastern Monday through Friday on channel 106 on Sirius XM volume. And it replays every night, 10 to midnight Eastern. And it also is on demand for you to listen to anytime you want if those times don't work for you, to download or stream on the SiriusXM app. So there's all different ways to listen. There is video content, all the interviews, full shows. It really is the best way to get uh, what I do, and I appreciate you coming on board if you are not already for my daily show on SiriusXM, you get a tiny, tiny little taste here on this podcast of what I'm doing on a daily basis on the radio show. Now, of course, if you're outside of the U.S. or Canada, you cannot get SiriusXM, so there's another way to hear what I'm doing. And to you guys, welcome, and thank you for checking out the podcast. But it's funny because I go all over the country, all over the world, really, and I uh, run into people all the time, and they'll say to me, Hey, man, love the show, which, of course, I greatly appreciate. But I always have to say to them, which show? 
And I'm not asking that to be a dick or be arrogant, but there's a lot of different things I do, and I just don't know what show they're talking about and what they're hearing. Could be this podcast, and there's some people that only know that. There could be uh, people that listen to my, I have an FM syndicated show. People might be listening to that. Or, of course, the Sirius XM show. Or they might be talking about shows I used to do, like, you know, uh, that metal show, or maybe the show I was doing on Access TV, which unfortunately isn't happening anymore. Access TV was sold, folks, so I, I don't know what's going on there, unfortunately, but for those of you that watch Trunk Fest, I appreciate it. Uh, I have no idea why they don't show those shows. <laughs> I just did a whole new season for uh, for Trunk Fest on Access TV, and it ran every episode ran like twice, and it's gone. So I don't know. I, I have nothing to do with that stuff. I have no idea. It bums you out because you put so much work into this stuff, and then it kind of gets buried. But I have no clue what's going on over there, unfortunately. But for those that watched, thank you, and I'll let you know if I hear anything in the future. But anyway, it could be that. It could be. Uh, you know, any of the things that I do. And so I, I never really quite know. I, I hear a lot of people that say to me, hey, listen to your stuff on YouTube. I've never posted anything on YouTube in my life. So I'm not exactly sure what they're hearing there, but something someone posted. Whatever the case, thank you for doing so, uh, listening and connecting to my world. Social media, at Eddie Trunk, you know that, on Twitter, where I am most active. There is also uh, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. There is a fan page, which I don't do too much with, but that's there for you as well on Facebook. And of course, eddietrunk.com is my official online home with my appearances on the homepage and music news updated daily. Things winding down kind of as far as appearances. A few more things to do between now and the end of the year, uh, including coming up November 23rd. I'll be back in Tulsa at the IDL Ballroom where I will be hosting a show with Vixen and the Iron Maidens. If you don't know about the Iron Maidens, they are an all-female maiden tribute that are really, really good. And them and Vixen will be performing at the IDL Ballroom in Tulsa, where I go so often and have so many great times on November 23rd. And I'll be there hosting Get Your Tickets Now at Stubwire. And just a few other little things that, um, you know, kind of wrapping up the year, believe it or not, already of stuff coming up that uh, I have on the docket. And that includes a trip to, hold on, I'm pulling up eddytrunk.com to tell you where I'm going to be. That's why I tell you to check the site all the time because I do it myself. I'm going to be at the Peacock Lounge in Erlanger, Kentucky on December 14th doing a speaking Q&A show that is just outside of Cincinnati. So if you're in that area of the country, please come say hello. Erlanger, Kentucky, Peacock Lounge, just minutes outside of Cincinnati, I'm told, December 14th. And uh, uh, December 20th in Clifton, New Jersey, in my backyard, pretty much, for the annual That Metal Show Christmas Party with myself, Don, and Jim at Dingbats, where we always do it, in Clifton, New Jersey. Always a fun time. Bands play. We hang out. Uh, should be an absolute blast, as it always is. So that's what's on the docket for the rest of the year. And there's one other thing I'm doing, too, although it's not a public thing and it's not a, um, you know, it's not something that, uh, you know, a, a, an appearance of any kind. However, speaking of going outside of the country, I'm going to be going to Zurich, Switzerland in early December. Long story as to why that's happening, but it's going to end up being a family vacation for me. 
And uh, originally there was supposed to be an event there that I was going to attend for Billy Gibbons, which has since been canceled. But since I had the plane tickets already, figured what the heck. So me and the family are going to go over and visit that area of the world and spend a few days there. And I'm looking forward to it. If I have any listeners who are based in that area and you got any tips for me or any suggestions, love to hear them. Because I don't get over there. I've never been over there, and I don't know anything about it. I have no idea what I'm going into. All I keep hearing is how expensive it is to to be there. So, uh, yeah, I'll be there. And uh, the funny thing about it, not funny, but interesting thing, cool thing, is I just found out Crocus is actually playing when I'm there, who, of course, are from Switzerland. And I had no idea that they were going to be playing there at the same time. Now, being that it's more of a family vacation sort of deal, You know, I I figured, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to break free to go to Crocus, but, you know, who knows? Maybe family's a little jet lagged. I get to get out and watch a little long stick goes boom. Who knows? But seriously, if you guys are, if I have listeners in that part of the world, uh, you know, email me, eddie at eddietrunk.com. Put Zurich in the subject so I I see it quickly. And, uh, yeah, if you got any tips or any suggestions, I'd love to hear it. I'm not even quite sure where I'm staying yet. You know, there's the hotel versus the Airbnb and all that. So that should be fun. Little, uh, you know, little vacation going to Europe and uh, looking forward to that. Because so many of these trips, if you follow my schedule, I'm all over the map. I rarely get a chance to do anything with the family like this. So it should be interesting. All right, let me tell you, I got a few things to tell you about, and then we're going to get to our interview this week. But first, right now, I want to tell you about Pluto TV because Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service you can watch over 100 tv channels and thousands of movies on demand all completely free pluto tv they never ask for a credit card you don't even need to sign up to watch for free how great is that pluto tv it's the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite tv shows and hit movies for free so what are you waiting for never pay for tv again by downloading pluto tv you can download pluto tv for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. So before we get to the interview, real quick, a couple things, because um, last week, Desmond Child as the podcast, I hope you enjoyed that. I love doing that. Really a lot of fun. Uh, This week, Billy Duffy of The Cult. This is an interview that happened in the SiriusXM LA studios a few weeks back. The Cult celebrating the 30th anniversary of Sonic Temple. They have some U.S. dates coming up that they'll be playing the album, so We'll talk to Billy Duffy of The Cult about that. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Just a real quick rundown of my last week or so. It started in, uh, speaking of travel, my last 10 days or so, started in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. 
Heard a lot about the scare in the Dominican about people dying and, and people who have died there because you know tourists had, had issues or what have you or uh, liquor poisoned or whatever was going on there. I had no issue at all. I enjoyed it. It was a wonderful uh, uh, resort, all-inclusive resort that the event was held at called 80s in the Sand and uh, very relaxed. It was like a cruise on land with alcohol included and but way more relaxed than most of the music cruises in terms of just a couple bands at night and everybody just chilling at the beach. Really great. It was great to be a part of 80s in the Sand, hung with Sammy Hagar in the circle, Lita Ford, the guys in Kicks, had a blast there. And I thank uh, Steve Robinson and his crew for having me. Next year, that event is moving to Mexico, and they've already said they'd like me to come back and be a host for that as well. So I plan to do that. Really, really good people, good time, and good event. Many great fans that I met as well. From there, I went to L.A., the Dio Bowling event. Uh, That was a blast. It was mayhem as usual. My team was indeed Geezer Butler, Brent Woods, Dave Grohl, Steven Adler. We didn't bowl too well, but we had a lot of star power. (laughs) And there were a lot of people who got excited seeing all of those folks on my bowling team. So... We had a good time there. It was good to hang with Dave some as well. And he told me new Foo Fighters record is in production. So look forward to that. And you probably saw some photos kicking around. More importantly, the biggest thing is money was raised for the Dio Cancer Fund, which is what it's all about. So thanks to Wendy Dio for having me out there in L.A. for that. I should be back in L.A. very soon. As a matter of fact, by the time you hear this, the date may be announced for the next uh, broadcast that I do when I do my Sirius XM show live from the rainbow. And the next one is very possible to be next week. So please check my website, my social media, because it may already be announced by the time you hear this podcast. So, uh, yeah, there's another trip. I thought I was winding down. I guess I'm not. (laughs) So anyway, got in and out of L.A. pretty quickly and just went and uh, hosted the, the Cancer Fund event. And then from there, I headed over to Houston where just this past weekend on Sunday, I host, hosted the third annual Foam Henge, which was a lot of fun with my dear friend Ace Freely, along with Accept, with my old friend Mark Tornillo in that band, of course, High on Fire, Power Trip, Pat Travers, great day at Carbach Brewery in Houston. This is the second year in a row I've hosted that, and what a fun event, and thanks to Charlie Paulette and... Uh, the entire crew there at Carbach who were so cool to me and having me out there, Addy and everybody there greatly appreciate it and uh, hope to be back. And they said they'd like me back for foam hinge number four uh, next year this time, but great time in Houston and great to see all the bands. And I did spend some time with Ace Freely, who has told me he has no idea about anything going on with kiss and has not been contacted despite all the rumors that are out there. So there you go. Who knows? Whoever really knows what's going on with any of these bands. Hell, the Black Crows reunited. Anything can happen. (laughs) You know, it really is. um, It really uh, is is the Wild West out there. Everybody's reuniting. Everybody's going to go out there and grab that buck. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? It's a crazy, crazy touring world these days. And uh, at every level, by the way. 
So anyway, it was a great run that I just came off of a week of a week and a half. Things kind of slowing down a little bit, as you just heard a bunch of other stuff still coming up. And I hope uh, to see you out there as we head into the holidays. It's already like 20 degrees here in New Jersey. It's ridiculous. All right. So Billy Duffy of the cult coming up. And uh, that's our interview. I think you're going to love it. I hope you do. If you're a cult fan, I'm sure you will. So thank you for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And uh, please follow on social media. And stay warm if you're in the Northeast. And get ready for Billy Duffy coming up next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, check this out. Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson is coming to the Podcast One family. Listen as Mike Tyson, the baddest man on the planet, pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds, celebrities, and athletes, along with his cosmic millennial sidekick and former NFLer, Eben Britton. Kid Dynamite dives deep into the issues impacting us all today. This podcast will change the way you see the world. Check out their first two episodes featuring Evander Holyfield and Tip T.I. Harris. Don't miss Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Billy Duffy of The Cult. The Cult celebrating the 30th anniversary of a huge album for them, Sonic Temple. We talk about that and a whole lot more, including some upcoming live cult dates. This interview, courtesy of my Sirius XM show, Trunk Nation, heard every day live on volume on Sirius XM channel 106. And here is Billy Duffy. Enjoy. What's up, Billy? Good to see you, man. How are you? We're live on the air, so go ahead and pull up a mic and we'll throw you right into right. it. Okay, I like that. Live, exciting. <laughs> exactly, live and... That's good. I'll just put my motorcycle Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I see. Yeah, you rode your bike, huh? That's the way to do it in oh, L.A., I, I would think. in L.A. these days, it's uh, ain't what it was, I can tell you, getting around. Yeah, let me get you on mic so people can hear you. There you oh, go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello. So, yeah, how long have you lived in L.A. now? Um, on and off, like to well, I don't know. I've forgotten now. Um, I think I came back in like ninety nine, nineteen ninety nine, and I've been here on and off. I'm spending. I'm actually spending more time in the UK now. Are you really splitting? Yeah, I'm maybe getting a bit old for it or something. I don't know. Where where uh, where exactly in the UK? I'm from Manchester, so Manchester. I've got a place up in uh, just outside Manchester. Are um, you a US citizen or dual I, or? I, I actually have dual citizenship. Yeah. Um, which is very nice. Worked for me very well. Yeah, I bet. I've been uh, pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'm a dual citizen. Uh, I'd got, I did that. I forget when I did that. Like, I think 2011. Mm. And I got, I got it the same day as Gillian Barbieri, that fantastic Canadian. Oh, really? Lady who was always over the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, was she? Was she in the like the in the three thousand people getting oh, really? sworn allegiance to the flag? Yeah, I had to keep my fingers a little bit crossed on that one. Being British, you know right. what I mean. I am, I am deep down a red coat, so <laughs> you know what I mean. I am the guys that they warned you about. But it's it's yeah. here here in LA. I mean, it's no joke. Like the other day, I had to go three miles. It took forty five minutes. It's it's it. I I love it here. I come here every month, and I do love it here. I got a lot of friends here. I like being here. I like working from here. But and you. you, you 
can't beat the weather, but man, that is a, <laughs> it's not like, it's not an exaggerated thing. It's a, the, that traffic is stupid. I think nowadays you have to re, the way I'm working it in my mind is it, it, I just not comparing it to what Los Angeles used to be. I accept it now for the new Los Angeles, which is, you know, uh, more comparable to sort of more major urban areas. People mm. used to come to LA because you could get stuff done, but it was chilled out yeah. and you could kind of relax and sort of, you know, yeah. the idea of California. That I mean, that's done. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore here, really. What's Manchester like these days? Um, Manchester, well, I spent the whole summer back over in the UK. Um, it's very progressive. Um, it's, it's kind of, it likes to see itself... As a as a kind of a, an arty town, you know, in the UK, sort of a let foot forward, you know, we're pretty progressive. Is there, there a rock scene there? I wouldn't say there's a rock scene. There's been there was a pretty good music scene from punk onwards. Obviously, not. I wouldn't say there's really a great heavy guitar orientated rock scene, but more of an indie. Mm. You know, it's been very indie and uh, sort of post-punk was the thing. And then obviously the Manchester movement, which I'm sure you deeply appreciated. Which is what? <laughs> People took a lot of uh, ecstasy and danced oh. all night in the late oh, 80s. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't be my word. Well, I was flipping my long blonde hair on stages across America, <laughs> having a whale of a time. Thank you so much. I was, um, there were, um, there, there, there was... Um, yeah, there was a whole scene going on in Manchester um, about dance music. Oh, I don't know. They would say, yeah, I know, it's not really, you know, we're, we're kind of get, getting a little off piece. Yeah, I'm here. just trying to get a sense of the scene, how it is there now, because, I, I mean, what was the last, I know a lot well, of what, rock bands came out of Birmingham, but what was the yeah. last big rock band, was it Oasis, the last big rock band that came out of Manchester? I would They're say from there, so. right? Yeah, right? I would say Oasis were the, were, were, you know, I mean, that's what, I mean, to me, they were not, I wouldn't ever have classified them as a rock band. I would think they were more of a kind of a pop guitar orientated right. band, you know, I mean, in, in the same way as you wouldn't say the Beatles were a rock band, would you? I mean, it's the song driven. I mean, their first album was pretty rocking, mm. you know, but they, you know, they, it was song orientated, but that, that kind of music, um, you know, the, the heavy rock scene in the UK is definitely a little more subcultural. It's seen as a kind of a by product it's it's not really mainstream although you know obviously every so often i made and pop up and have a hit single in the charts because yeah, we've just got so many fans there they do not even though they'll yeah. do arenas here over there they actually will have hits which is oh yeah well we yeah. did we had like nine seven or nine we had like nine top 30 singles and i only used four chords <laughs> That is a joke, but I did use more, maybe seven. But there was less chords involved in getting nine top 30 singles for the cult back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of back in the day, hard to believe Sonic Temple is 30 years old. And I I remember last I saw you was maybe a year or two ago. You yeah. guys played Rocklahoma. Yeah, yeah. And I was hosting it. We were at the Hard Rock, and yep. we did that meet and greet. And I remember talking to you some then. Yeah, yeah. And you were at, at that time. You had said to me, "I said, what do you guys got coming up?" And you said, "Well, I'm talking to Ian now because Sonic Temple's coming up on yeah, 30, yeah. and we're yeah. going to see if we want to do some sort of anniversary stuff for it. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's happening, it, and you're doing yeah. it, and and uh, 
I don't, to me, it blows my mind that that record is 30 years old. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Is that because we look so fabulous? I think so. Is that why? I really me do. And it, is that why? <laughs> just, <laughs> I think that, I'm going to go with that, Billy. I'm going to go with that one. I'm pushing that agenda. I'm just <laughs> seeding that out in the world. They do look pretty fabulous considering they're nearly up for a bus pass. <laughs> I refuse. I throw the AARP envelope in the garbage every time I get it. I won't do it. I don't care what the benefits are. Yeah, man, oh, man, oh, man. I am, you know, yeah. I I suppose I think that it's wise when everybody reaches a certain age, and I would guess that's somewhere over 50, to not start playing the numbers game. Mm. It's a little, because it's not a winning uh, mathematical formula. If you project, say, ahead, as far as we're talking back, then it's not a pretty sight, mm. you know. I At the know. best, you're going to be the juice guy right. <laughs> in a onesie with a little belt buckle pulling yourself up and down because you're living on, like, kale and Swiss chard, you know, and you're 97 and you don't look a day over 85. And who cares <laughs> at that point? You just want to make it to the toilet on time. You know? uh, I mean, yeah. that's... <laughs> I, I am of the belief, I am of the belief strongly that, what we do, uh, you as a performer, me on and my end of it and being out there all over the place, does keep you young. I do believe it sure. does, even if not I'd physically, mentally. I do. I, I see so many people – I'm 55. I see so many other people that are around my age who are – look like they're ready for the rocking chair and yeah. feel like it. Yeah, no, I And I, I, I mentally and physically feel like I'm 25 still. I'm like ready to go. Well, we're kind of lucky. You know, we're blessed. We've had a good – both of us have had a good – you know, yeah, for sure. Life, yeah, you know, and, sure. and I think uh, my mom said something to me very profound once. She said, Billy, as long as you've got your health, nothing else really matters. And I was like, very wise words, I think, from the old mom, my yeah. old Betty, my mom. Yeah. I think she was pretty bang on with that. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I think we're just very fortunate. We're blessed. And I think that definition of... When you're a youngster, you know, and I was panicking when I was a kid because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was reasonably intelligent. The 70s were terrible in England. There was, you know, punk was happening. It was a very depressed environment. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. You know, all my family were in the building trade. So that was the most obvious route for me. You know, and I just didn't fancy working outdoors five mm. days a week in the English weather. And... um you know, thank God for, you know, the sex pistols. That's mm. all I can say, because, and the buzzcocks and that whole thing, because that, for me, you know, took, I mean, obviously I was into music as a kid, and I, all the rock bands and everything you probably grew up liking, because we're not too far apart in age, right. but it was a fantasy. If I, I was aspiring to be a guitar roadie for the local second best rock band in South Manchester at the time. You know, that was an aspiration. And then punk happened, and suddenly the whole game changed, you know, I mean, a lot of things remain the, the same, you know, the the major established bands, you know, they, they were nervous for 10 minutes and then they continued to sell out, you know, flying private jets and do what they did. But right. for, for a year or two there, it was pretty exciting, heady times in the UK. And it did open a lot of possibilities where suddenly it was like, oh man, yeah, why can't I be in a band? And, you know, you, you take that... What is in fact a monumental leap? It might a stage might only be three or four foot high, but standing watching somebody and climbing up and doing something and entertaining people, it's like Everest. Yeah, to some people. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It, it's quite a significant thing. Anybody can do that. You said you weren't sure 
what you wanted to do. Well, you know, career-wise right. until music. So punk was the thing that like, I found myself in a band by accident, almost. I literally was trying to be the 16. What was that band called? Well, it ended up being called The Nosebleeds. That's, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, well, sort <laughs> For of. A punk band. And, and ironically, and this is, I do tell this story a lot, and I'm getting a bit bored of telling it. Ironically, I happened to have a friend who I was going to gigs with because we liked all the same kind of music, like the New York Dolls and Patti Smith and the Stooges. His name was Stephen Morrissey. Mm, and I got him to sing and wrote the first songs with him he ever wrote. There was a, they, if anybody's remotely interested, they did make a movie that's on Netflix called England is Mine. Oh, and really? It, is yeah. it a documentary? It's just, no, no. It's kind of a... Um, what is it when it's very close to the truth, but it's not a documentary? Biopic? Yeah, biopic. Like the biopic. Queen movie? Yeah, it's a biopic. Right, okay. It's a biopic. Okay, and How long ago did it come out? About two years ago. It was a low-budget thing in England. Actually, Brian from Cleopatra Records out, out here in L.A., uh-huh. who helped finance it, and one of the guys from The Cure put some money into it, whose name escapes me. It was an indie movie, and it just happens to tell the story of Morrissey when he was Stephen Morrissey up until the minute he meets Johnny Marr. It's not about the Smiths. It's not about that. It's just a fun little thing about the Manchester music scene right when punk was happening, and I happened to be in it, and I happened to have introduced Morrissey to Johnny Marford. Is somebody in the movie playing you yes. doing that? Yeah, he's like my he's like my little son I never had. His <laughs> name's Adam and, and he's like a great guy and he's and people say he looks exactly like I did when I was eighteen. Wow. Bless him. Wild. And I'll be seeing him in England. He's coming to one of the gigs. He's become kind of a friend. Ugh. You know, I've got a great daughter, but I never had a son, so I'm like... There you go. You know, Adam's <laughs> like my adopted son. I'm going to have to take him in if his acting career doesn't... He was in Peaky Blinders for five minutes. Okay. So he's got the right haircut. If you had not made it in music and uh, as a guitar player, songwriter, performer, you said your family was in building. But yeah. Did you personally yeah. have uh, another a fallback thing? Like, was it sports or acting? Or was there any other thing that you saw yourself potentially doing if it wasn't this? No, I, I wasn't good enough at football. Soccer, right. as we say over here, my, my American side right. to right. soccer. Um, uh, I was just borderline good enough to get in the team. You know what I mean? I was like sometimes on the bench, sometimes I was a starter, which I'm constantly reminded of because I think I got better as I got older because everybody else stopped playing. Um, no, I didn't have a backup plan. I was filled with 10 different kinds of fear. So I ended up working in a hospital as a porter, which is a great gig for a, you know, young guy with an idea to make a music career but well because the hours are probably your flexible, flexible hours i was doing night shifts doing full day shifts which would give me a couple of days off so i could go and do gigs with bands and right that would that's actually happened um but uh, by that time i'd moved to london but yeah you know i mean that was post-punk that was more like 79 you know when the punk scene happened what, do you remember the first time you saw one of the bands? Do you remember what you first... In, the, yeah, the first no, I know. It, it's all indelibly imprinted in my mind because I just happened to go to see a gig that was the first ever show the Buzzcocks ever played, period, their debut gig. Uh-huh. The next band on were a local band from South Manchester where I grew up. They were called Slaughter and the Dogs, which you can tell by the name. They were basically kind of a Bowie-esque 
rock band. Well. And when punk happened, they just sped all their songs up. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, they Were really they glammy did. like Bowie? Yeah, and then Mick Ronson produced their debut album. Oh, really? Yeah, Ronson was friends, and I'm still friends with the guys in the band, and they, 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 we go back, we go back a lot longer than Sonic Temple but they were next on the bill and then finally the headliner was um, slow uh, was uh, was Sex Pistols oh wow with um, you know before Sid it was the the the, the Glenn Matlock the OG uh-huh, 76 yeah. lineup right right and um it left quite an indelible print on my mind I started shedding some rock albums at that point that I felt might be superfluous I didn't let go of my Montrose first album though I'm wearing a Montrose shirt that Billy's yeah, pointing yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Which, which it's crazy about this Montrose album, and I've said this to Sammy Hagar and a lot of people. This uh, The other day I was talking to Joe Elliott about this. He was here as well. Yeah, yeah. The Montrose record, the first record, is way more of a bigger deal with British yeah, we loved it. Folks, then here in America, that yeah, album, like Iron Maiden covered Montrose tunes, like it, there was a huge impact from this record, a Southern California or California band. Yeah, yeah. In England, it, like here people kind of know it, but he, but in England, Montrose was a, it's a really strange, impactful it, record. Isn't it a strange thing how sometimes, and there, that's not without precedent, you know, I mean, like, for example, the Stray Cats. Yeah. England. That, Jimi Hendrix. England. Well, they straight, were they were they were recognised in the the UK before they had any success in the states, right? But the different, but the thing with the Stray Cats, I mean, they those records, that record, I worked in a record store and that record came out. That yeah. thing was an enormous seller. It got all the MTV attention. What's what's yeah. really fascinating to me when you talk about how yeah. things are perceived in England versus here in America is you look at a band like T Rex, yeah. Here it's one song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, and in we all England, know what song that is. Right, bang a gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In England, there, there was a term for it, T Rex to see, because it was such yeah, yeah. a oh. pandemonium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, influenced Mark Bowen influenced Bowie. Absolutely, did, Finn yeah. Lizzy. Here yeah. it's one song, maybe two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there it's a whole different thing. It's really interesting how that sort of thing happens, and then. You reverse it in something like Montrose, which yeah, is, yeah. and the big, you know, for the most part, is kind of off the radar here yeah, in the yeah. U.S., a celebrated influential record in England. Absolutely. It's one of the pillars of, you know, considered, for my age group, like, say, Joe Elliott and the Iron Maiden guys, we're all probably roughly the same age. Right. And I mean, I went through some stuff. Um, funnily enough, I'm having a bit of a clear out of my memorabilia soon. I'm just having one of those Zen, those Zen moments where it's like all this stuff's got to go. Where so, are you going to go? What are you going to do with it? You going to sell I'm it? I'm auctioning it off and giving some of the proceeds to charity. And as I ra- point out, if I'd have, if I'd have written Dark Side of the Moon like Dave Gilmore. I'd give all the proceeds to charity, right. but I didn't. Gilmore just I'm millions just, and I'm millions just a of dollars mortal, of guitars. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I'm just a mere mortal just a guy. man riding his motorcycle in Dude, L.A. <laughs> you know, I'm just a guy from Manchester who got lucky. So, you know, but I'm giving some of the proceeds to charity. I'm getting rid of the stuff. But in all, when I went through that stuff, I go back to my childhood. I've got tickets and gigs I went to in the 70s. And, and you know, there was a lot of that early and scrapbooks. And there was cuttings from the music magazines with pictures of Montrose. So for me to end up playing with Ronnie Montrose and Sammy Hagar doing two tracks off Montrose's album years ago when Sammy opened a place up in Tahoe. And I'm on stage and I'm talking to like Ronnie Montrose and we're rapping about guitar, you know, minutiae. 
like uh, you know he he was like oh man i invented the kind of heavy bottom strings but light thin strings so you can bend the leads but you get a good i'm like wow and just hanging out and just being as like an equal to somebody who as the 14 year old me cut them out of a little newspaper and stuck it in a scrapbook yeah it's kind of a trippy trippy thing man you said you saw you mentioned the New York Dolls a second ago. Yeah, Did yeah. you see them live? No, no, I missed them. I was kind of young, you know. The the Sex Pistols gig was kind of a fluke. I was lucky. I missed a lot of gigs. I was a bit young for um, Alice Cooper School's out tour. It did Manchester. Bowie did um, like the 73, 70, 72, 73, I was too young. Right. I was only twelve. Right. You know, I mean, I I did go to a gig when when my dad took me to see, and you're gonna love this, Susie Quattro. Mm-hmm. Who never made it here, no, but there. Quattro opening. Right. Thin Lizzy with Eric Bell, three-piece. Oh. Pre, pre uh, Whiskey in a Jar. Pre-Scott Gorham. Oh, yeah. Before all that. Yeah. Uh, Slade with a headliner, who I might point out were an excellent, excellent rock band live. Well, that's another band. Yeah, yeah. Slade, here in America, they're known because Quiet Riot had a hit with one of their songs. Yeah, people think these nobody are Quiet have, Riot Yeah, nobody have a, has a clue about Slade in America, but very celebrated band in England. Just status quo, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. They had a lot of hits. A lot of hits. They were all very much the fabric of the 70s. So I was a bit young for 72, 73. My era was more 74, 75, 76. Those kind of bands. So I saw Lizzie... Um, did you see Kiss early on? Did they no, mean anything to you? No, I never saw Kiss. I didn't like Kiss at the beginning. Right. And, and I've subsequently met the guys and they're great. And I've played on stage with a couple of them and stuff. And But at the time, I just didn't get it. Right. It just wasn't. Because to me, we had Alex Harvey, Sensational Alex Harvey Band. We had, you know, there was like, there was stuff that resonated with me. Right. And, and I just didn't get Kiss. Because I honestly, at the time, didn't. I just was like, I, I kind of, I don't equate. I just didn't get the makeup and the whole thing. Yeah, I was curious about that. Because, the showbiz thing a bit, I didn't. Right, because when you talk about these really important, impactful moments for musicians, at least, I don't I don't know how that worked in England, because here in America, maybe 80% of people that I'll talk to yeah. that are in rock bands will tell you that that was, the, the scene, around my age, our age, yeah, yeah. that that was a pivotal, pivotal moment for them. Just about everybody I've had in here this week has said, oh, my first show was Kiss or whatever. That set me no, and I, and, and So I was it, curious if it yeah, connected yeah. like that in England. There, 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 was a, there was actually a bass player in my high school band was into Kiss, and he was the only guy I knew that liked them. And he yeah, I don't know if, some... they, if they came over before probably 75 or 6 either. No, they didn't. Be- I mean, they started here in early 74, but I don't know if they would have even gone to England for a year or two. I wasn't aware that they played over there. It yeah. wasn't just, to me, like we've discussed, we had Slade, we had Bowie, we had T-Rex, we had Thin Lizzy. There was, there was countless bands touring. And Kiss, to me, I just didn't get the whole... right. You know, thing. I just, I, you know, I'd see. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's with them. It's very much a love hate thing. There's or not. I know. I'm not saying you hate them, but I'm just saying it was either it was a. You either loved them and were all in, and it was your world, or you didn't get it, and that yeah, was I that was not later. uncommon here in America. It still is actually. Yeah, the case. no, I know very much so. So Billy Duffy is here from the cult. It's the twenty. It's the thirtieth. My yeah, God, yeah. anniversary of Sonic Temple. A huge record for them. Four big songs on it. Yeah. We'll talk a little Sonic Temple. Yeah. There's a special edition that's uh, come out or coming out. Yeah, there yeah, are yeah. shows announced. About seven or eight here in America, but others yeah. outside of America as well as the band celebrates the 30th anniversary of that record. So we'll get into a little bit of that with Billy. 
Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Let's get back to more of my conversation with Billy Duffy of the cult on the Eddie Trunk podcast. So what is in this package? Because you were just telling me that you yeah. did do the cassette, too. There is a cassette in there, yeah, right? I believe. I believe. I I mean, I haven't seen it yet. That It's out. And parts of this, apparently parts of it have sold out. So when they when, when the label said it's a limited edition, they weren't joking. Right. It is a limited edition because you can't charge like premium money for a thing, you know, and say it's a limited edition and then just flood the market. With right. Them. So parts of it have gone they're done they're sold already yeah. so um but we did do we did cassettes as well because ian really was like into the idea and you know because that's you know what's going on and what's a, a on the cassette that that i believe we put the some of the demos because we wanted to put out everything we had on sonic temple because it's just for the fan it's a fan driven thing was there a lot that was left off the record or things that were re- what, how much content is there beyond what we actually heard there on was the record? a lot of content because but it was the first album that bob rock produced with right. us he was very thorough about demoing before we went in to do the album so there's an entire album of demos um, with Eric Singer, speaking of Kiss. Oh, really? Yeah, there's two drummers and Chris Taylor, who was in Bob Rock's band up in Canada. But Eric was on a lot of the demos as well. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. He, so, for example, there's that. But then we put on some of the songwriting demos and the, the rehearsal room demos where we're just woodshedding ideas in the room as a band. Uh-huh. And it's all in there. Some of it came out many years ago. They did a very limited thing called Rare Cult, which was like a box set. That that was released possibly fifteen twenty years ago, and some of it appeared on that. Right, but there's definitely stuff in this package that's never been out before, and we were just like, it's that time, you know. Here it is. Here's everything, you know. It's because it, it it's a fan driven thing. I mean, I don't particularly need to hear it. Do you know what I mean? I'm right. not going to sit at home playing my own record right. while lighting some candles and like <laughs> enjoying my brilliance, having a little date night with myself. I mean, it's, you know, it's not. We put it out for the fans. It's good. You know, it, it stimulates them. It makes the gigs kind of a celebration. And it commemorates the, a, a really, really important record in your history. Well, well, and also more importantly, from my perspective, and I think that's where me and Ian kind of agree, is that it's almost like it's more like a very important album for them because it was a fabric of their lives. I've got albums that I grew up with mm. that was so important to me as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old. I understand that people grew up listening to Sonic Temple or Electric or, or Love for the cult, do you, you understand what I'm saying? Sure. I'm trying to say it's like it's not about a, a, how great with the cult. We we're just two guys that we do our thing, and you know, it's about the fans. It's fan driven, and you know the demands there for it, and that's why you know we put it out, and it's been really successful, and the gigs are all selling out, and 
Of of the and I've heard by the way I've heard nothing but amazing things about the gigs. Everybody's saying the the band sounds incredible, lineup. the vibe is great, everything is just, the set list. Everybody had some had dinner with some folks last night and they yeah. were just carrying on. They'd seen you, I think, at I don't know if it was Hollywood Bowl or or oh we did some, the Greek that the was Greek a great here. Night. And they were just raving and they said well, you talked to Billy. It was the okay. best show we ever saw from the cult. It was phenomenal. People just loving what you're um, doing. I we got some very positive feedback. Our manager Tom. Vitorino has got to take a lot of credit because he said you guys are doing the Greek in a year or so and I was like you know we ain't doing the Greek uh, we'll never do the Greek because you thought it was too big I thought it was a little big for us you know what I mean we you know we what's we, the capacity there it's I think 6,000 believe 6, it or not I've never been there all the years of coming out here I hear it's amazing venue. well yeah I mean it's it's tremendous on a on one of those Southern California nights if you get that kind of magical right and we got lucky you know and and it was great and it was a sellout and uh, everybody had the right mindset you know to to enjoy such a great night and the vibe you know the vibes were great so uh very life affirming mm. you know how do you feel personally about sonic temple as a record where it slots in for you as oh, the records you've n- made with the cult do you feel it's your best record one of your it's best great, records it's a great question well we were fortunate to have three love electric and sonic temple that were like one after the other it was kind of a good combination of punches and and you know it was over a sort of a six year span of constant writing recording touring recovering you know we we, we hadn't got to the rehab phase so we just to me my view on sonic temple was that i just wanted to make a no holes barred no excuses no no full-on fully realized rock album with the cult Mm -hmm. not like oh well you used to be a goth band so you can't do this or you can't have this or you shouldn't do that it was just like we're going to write the best songs we can write we're going to make it sound as big and magnificent as we can and that's all i worried about and and that to me is what we did ian viewed it possibly a little more psychedelically and that's where like a producer like bob rock would come in and try and marry Possibly it's just language. Right. We both had the same vision. He was more like Disraeli Gears or that's where his head was at. Right. I, I was more like a, you know, more like a kind of a, if Queen and Mott the Hoople had actually formed one band, you know, a tough yet progressive record right. with some soul, you know, because that's the thing about the cult. And one of the reasons, you know, we always aimed our music from the waist down. You know what I mean? A lot of you know that's the thing. People, what kind of band are you? We're like a we're like a Scott Ian's walking in right now. Not, <laughs> it's not, it's not. Oh, that's the next shift. Don't wait <laughs> exactly. me out. Wait me out. Hi, hi. He's hi. coming in. To, he's coming in to steal all the questions. Yeah, yeah. he's making notes. It's not. not. You're not. Um, yes. Turn him if you figure out. Turn the mic on, Scott. Feel free to do it. I don't. I. I don't have a. Figure out. Just be here till the end. Of- <laughs> yeah, spoken like a true guitar player. Exactly. Techno. I'm a technophobe. <laughs> so you were, we were just talking about your thoughts on right Sonic Temple. Uh, so yeah, and and we were just aiming, you know, rhythmically. One of the things with the cult was always trying to make sure it's had a swing feel. And 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 I mentioned Eric Singer before playing on the demos. Yeah, that's, I didn't, had no idea. About right. Okay. That. So yeah, you know, just wild. a piece of rock. He's a friend. Yeah, and yeah. He's still a mate. It's actually, funnily enough, the same birthday as me, and really? he's exactly the same age. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's a very dry character. I like it. He's, he's got a great sense of humor. Anyway, we digress. But Bob was really adamant that he wanted a certain type of drummer 
to play the music once we'd written the songs and he didn't feel Eric was quite right mm-hmm. for the feel of what we were going for. So we got Mickey Curry, mm-hmm. who was he still is Brian Adams, Brian drummer, Adams, right? Yeah. But his background was Hall and Oates, so he was more like a swing rock drummer, you know, right? So that's who we ended up using on that album and then the next album. And what about Bob Rock coming in? Because as you mentioned, Rick Rubin had worked with you previous, yeah, on Electric, and yeah. then you would you would Bob Rock who. Uh, obviously, at the, certainly st- still a, a major, major producer, but at that time, certainly the guy, one of the biggest names as far as rock is concerned. How did you end up working No, he with was him? a little name. Well, because oh, Black he, Album and all that hadn't no, happened yet. No, 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 no. He hadn't done Metallica. I think he had done Kingdom Come. He did Kingdom Come. That was it. Was that? Did that record have anything to do with using him? Um, well, there was a lot of things about that record that were good. And there were several things about it that weren't good, in my opinion, um, in terms of... Um, sounds. Content. No, the sounds were good. Yeah. And that's what we liked. We thought it was... Pretty, remember, I wanted to make... Because Electric was kind of like quite a basic 24-track. You know, we recorded and mixed it in the same studio. That You know, there was no frippery with that. It, right. Rick did his thing. Very minimalist. With the next one, I wanted it to be a fully realized... We felt we'd left a little bit of something behind when we did Electric. It was like a moment, and it captured where we were at, which was basically like a bunch of drunken pirates <laughs> having a good old cartoon <laughs> lifestyle because we'd had some success. But Bob felt that we'd left a little bit of the something that made the cult special on the Love album behind. So his thing was to try and combine elements of Electric and love. He he kind of was a fan, really, Bob, right. initially. But he hadn't produced any uh, quote-unquote big bands. Yeah, I'm thinking of the timeline, because we're talking 30 years, and that was 89. It was 88 when we recorded. Yeah. And we were doing writing songs early 88, and all through the summer of 88, and we got Bob on board. I jammed with Bob's band in Vancouver, because his guitar tech, a guy called Laird, somehow was my drinking buddy, and we used to go to the strip clubs in Vancouver a lot together and he said oh you got to meet my boss he loves your band he constantly playing your albums and da 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 and i had no idea who bob rock was i didn't know he'd had a band i had no because canada's music scene somewhat doesn't always bleed across the border right and i had no idea who bob rock was and then then we talked about kingdom come and i kind of had heard that record so did somebody was it a label guy or somebody that put him into the consideration pool to do sonic temple it was you. Yeah. So be, from that meeting and then having Hanging heard out Kingdom Come. Jamming, and- pretending I knew a Beatles song and walking on stage drunk in 1987 in Vancouver, playing with him, wearing, I might have had a headband on. I don't know. I'm still having <laughs> therapy on that one. Uh, I think I had, I had like some kind of headgear that was a- atrocious. But anyway, so from that, yeah. And, it, and in credit to Ian Asprey and our managers at the time, because we'd had success with Rick. We didn't have a problem with Rick. My gut was that we couldn't repeat that trick twice. Right. And I just met this guy and he talked a great game and, and Ian was open-minded and he was like, if you really believe in this guy, then let's pursue it. And that's what we did. I've just really believed in Bob Rock in 1988 based upon what I'd heard and meeting him face-to-face and hearing how he perceived the cult. And, you know, as a, you know, I just... And we've done sort of four or five albums with him since then. To me, to me, looking at it from the outside, and having worked in rock, still work, worked in rock radio at that time, it was the to me, Sonic Temple was the culmination of the records that came before it. It yeah. felt like it was all leading that way. Absolutely, yeah. With Love and Electric. It was like okay, there's. Um, 
you know, she sells sanctuary and yeah, all these no things longer. that we started to hear on rock radio Absolutely, yeah. and then all of a sudden boom here comes the whole thing coming the the sound the well a, we we approach we, everything yeah no it was it was it was a bit like i was a little bit at that point careerist and driven and, and i was de- bound and determined to have a platinum album because electric didn't go platinum originally and initially went gold did great good luck getting one of those now yeah but yeah 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 exactly well you, you get balsa wood and uh and, and teak um but anyway so i was a bit and we'd got an american manager we changed management we got established in los angeles we got you know a big time american manager and we just made a good a good go we went, sort of went for it to use the terminology you know yeah yeah. Although, if you're being smart, you don't try an untested producer. You you don't get Bruce Fairburn's assistant. You who that's who Bob Rock was. Right. Bob Rock cut his teeth engineering Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi, Aerosmith, right. whatever, with Bruce Fairburn up in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and eventually started branching out as you do on your own. Yeah, I just think it was important also that Bob's a musician and a guitar player and. I think it's important for the cult to have a producer who's a musical guy. There are many kinds of producers. You know, Rick Rubin's incredible at what he does. He's he, with the first to admit he's not a musical person. Right. You know what I mean? He's not he's a tell Zen you, master. Yeah, he just sits at the back and it's either cool. I saw the documentary. Cool. That's why I know. If you've seen the yeah. doc, yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, I lived the documentary, didn't yeah, I? Exactly. I was in the documentary. <laughs> Billy Duffy is here. Sonic Temple, 30 years old. The dates there's here in the U.S. There's only about seven or eight that you've announced, right? Left yeah, for we, the year. Yeah, we did. Yeah, but we just we don't really tour in a kind of a the, the sense that we did thirty years ago, where you start on one point on the map and keep going until you've done, you know, six months of it, that grind. I don't think we have that. We just get groups of dates together now. We'll do weekend warrior stuff and fly. I'm sure Scott can relate to how yeah. you know but well, he doesn't those guys anthrax still goes out, go out for the, oh God. we don't we see we don't, and i don't think we've got the desire we like to play but we like to do it in little uh, bursts these days right you know the idea i mean ian's really not that keen on touring i'm a bit more of a road dog he does it but i, I think if he was being honest he doesn't love the notion of you know, sitting on a bus right. with a bunch well, everybody of everybody has their process and finds a way to make it work. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, for, so for the cult, it's it's just we're trying to do little and often rather than extensive. You know, right. so this is a cluster of dates between Washington and Boston. And I I actually believe that sometimes I I believe that some bands over tour and play way too much yeah, and yeah. it actually hurts their draw and their guarantees. Yeah, I've seen the opposite. Sometimes less is more. Bigger crowds, better money. Like you just yeah. said before, you'd never expected you'd sell out the Greek, and you did. Yeah, so absence yeah. makes the heart grow a little fonder sometimes. Yeah, there's a bunch of factors, and all of the things you just said are very true. You yeah. have to weigh all that up, because at the end of the day, it is, as much as I love doing it, at the end of the day, it is a business. It's show business, and you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's so much out there these days, because everybody has to tour, because record sales aren't what they were. And sometimes the fans get fatigued, oh, them again, you know? Well, there's that, and last time I checked, they haven't added any more days to the week. There's still only seven of them, <laughs> yeah. and like bands who've reformed, there's new bands, there's bands who've broken up, reformed, broken up, and reformed again. Everybody had reason, and there's still only seven days in a week. Right. Five farewell tours. Do you know at, what I mean? Look at the Misfits. They found that the, the best formula ever, don't play for 30 years, Right. come out, do like 
10 arena shows and then go away again. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, if you can get yourself in fighting shape, you know, to go out and do that, God bless, you know. Let's get a couple quick calls in before we have to wrap up. Greg in Houston's been waiting since we started the show. Greg, go ahead. You're on with Billy. You just need those headphones, Billy, so you All can right, hear yeah, him. Yeah. Hey, Greg. Hey, thanks, Eddie. Uh, Billy, it's a true pleasure to talk to you, sir. I've been a fan since the love record. And congratulations on the uh, 30th anniversary of Sonic Temple. Well, thanks, thanks, Greg. Houston, as a soft, we have a soft spot for Houston, Texas, because when we first came to America before the Love Album, we played a club called Numbers in Houston, oh which gosh. was a famous, right? Are, are you, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely, it's an institution. Yes, I saw many shows. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So, so to me, an English guy, I never, you know, I didn't even know Texas. I, you know, it was all whatever. I was like, wow. I didn't know they were so progressive. Um, so it was fun, man. So, so God Greg, bless. Your, your phone is real crackly, so ask your question real quick, and I'm yeah. going to hang up on you because your phone's making noise. Absolutely. I just wanted to see if Billy could elaborate a little bit on the songwriting process that he and Ian go through when they're writing a new record. And Billy, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Songwriting, it's a trip. It, it's evolved. I mean, now it, in the old days, in the 80s, we'd uh, knock up a new song in the sound check and play it at the gig and, you know, hey, what do you think of our new song? Uh, for some reason, that's all died off now. So we, you know, the, it's a collaborative thing with the cult. There's always been, there aren't really Ian songs and Billy songs. We just write together. Obviously, certain songs have more of my DNA than Ian's, you know, and but but we're a collaborative thing, which makes it vital that we have a strong producer to kind of be able to get both of us satisfied. You know, it's it's um, so it's a bit of a balancing act and trying to find the commonality between where we're at. You know, Ian's very progressive in his thinking, his musical taste. He always wants to go forwards. I'm a bit more conservative by nature. I'm a guitar player, so, you know, I just want to play lots of loud guitar. So we try and factor all those things in together and try and make records that sound like they're of their time. You know, I don't want to keep making... It would be inauthentic for us to try and make electric again because I'm not that 24-year-old drunk guy. It would just be it would be a fantasy to even think it. So that's the only thing with the process of writing songs and quantity not... Uh, 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 quantity, quality, not quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? You want the opposite, right? Yeah, it's the headphones that kill me. I go all weird, like I feel like I'm in a submarine. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I think is really interesting, Billy, is not only the the songwriting partnership you have with Ian, but just the relationship in general. Not many things last as long as you've had a partnership with this guy. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. I know we're both we're both we're we're born um, a year and two days apart. We're both the same birth sign. Um, we're very similar in a lot of ways and very different in others. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm just count my blessings that I ever met the guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's an amazing gift to be able to meet somebody who collaboratively together, the two of you make something that you couldn't make individually, you know, and all the great band, most of the great bands have that dynamic between two guys. I think two plus two equals five. Let me squeeze in a couple more quick calls because we're almost out of time and people have been waiting. This is Nat in New Orleans. Go ahead, Nat. How you doing, Billy? I'm an Arsenal fan. Hey, all right, Nat. Hey. I'm I'm an Arsenal fan. But anyways, I was in the Marine Corps in the 80s and got that Southern Death Cult and followed you all the way to Sonic Temple. And last year, finally, I got to see you guys. I took 10 friends 
at the IP Casino in Biloxi, Mississippi, and saw a wonderful concert. I just want to thank you guys for still playing. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks for your service. I always like for to sure. share that. Thanks Absolutely. for your service. And thanks for uh, being there for us. That, I like playing Biloxi. I never thought I, as a young man in England I'd be ever playing in Biloxi, Mississippi. I'll tell you a little story quickly, 15 seconds. The name Southern Death Call is an ab- anthropological term for tribes of S- American Indians from that part of America, specifically near Biloxi, who worship bur- burial mounds and stuff. Oh, wow. Like a lot of ancient people did all over the world and in Europe and all this. But they were there, and that's how the, the somehow that name, which obviously is the precursor of the cult, the cult right. was the Southern Death Cult. It was a different band. but So there's a Biloxi connection. Interesting. Let's go to Ben, who's in Canada. Ben, go ahead. You're on with Billy Duffy. Hey man, it's Sven, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, love the show, Eddie. Billy, it's great to talk to you. I just want to leave a oh, comment. Thanks, Sven. Got to see you here. Got to see you uh, up here in Vancouver a couple months ago, I believe it was at the okay. Bowl for the Orpheum. Awesome show, loved it. Been a fan since back in the Love Album days. Saw you at Pine Knob when, when uh, Sauna Temple came out back in Detroit area. And I have to agree oh, yeah. with you, the strip. The strip clubs were a thing of beauty in the 90s here in Vancouver, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They guilty. Were awesome. <laughs> guilty as charged. Okay. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. Take care. I've heard much about those. I've never partaken, but I've heard of much course, about what goes on in Vancouver. Not. I've never been to Vancouver, so I don't know. But anyway, thank you, Sven, for the call. Thank you to all the callers. It was. Uh, it, I, Sorry we ran out of time, didn't get a chance to get to more. And thanks to all my guests throughout the week. It's been an amazing week. And, Billy, thank you for coming in, man. And, you know, Sonic Temple. You, so maybe some more shows next year? You yeah, think? we're, we're going to. The, the, the original out? tour for Sonic Temple was very lengthy. We did 50 or 60 shows with Metallica alone to support the album, let alone the own shows we did on our own afterwards. And right. So we're going to keep going. And, you know, certainly all of 2020, I think, is I think at the end of next year we'll probably – you know, bring the curtain down on the whole thing. But I think we've got another year of it. There's places we want to go to. and New music cooking? Yep. We're working on some new stuff. Had a conversation about this morning. So we're always simmering. Again, quality, not quantity. Yeah, that's it. Good time talking to Billy Duffy. Appreciate him coming in. And again, that interview courtesy of Trunk Nation, my daily radio show heard live on Sirius XM Volume 106 every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, and the replay every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, or of course, anytime you want. On demand on the SiriusXM app. If you're listening in the U.S. or Canada, please look into joining me for Trunk Nation and hear everything I'm doing daily, including all the great interviews and become a subscriber of Trunk Nation and Sirius XM. You get a little, little, little taste here on the podcast each and every week. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, and I will see you next week for another all-new episode free, as always, at podcastone.com and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Have a good one.
Okay, parachute's ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as low as 1.04% APR for 36 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.